to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Ezekiel 28 and 29. We're actually going to start in 29. And as we go through it, you'll see why we're starting in Ezekiel 29. But the last time, the message was titled, Justice for Everyone. Justice for Everyone. And it was really neat because we looked at uh, Tyre as the port city, which now is modern-day Lebanon. Some of the ruins are still in Lebanon. If you actually, It's kind of fun. People say, you know, I listened to the sermon, and then I went home, and I went into my search engine, and I'm like, wow, all that historical stuff, right? We're, it's almost like we're an American bubble that there's so much that goes on across the seas, so much artifacts and relics, and it's really neat. So um, justice for everyone, we looked at how God blesses on a global scale, not just Israel in the Old Testament, but other nations with natural resources, etc. Uh, but he also at times has to punish evil, right? But you can see that God is a fair God. He doesn't have any favorites. So that was neat. We actually made a tie-in to Revelation. Uh, Revelation series is on the website if you weren't here for that. It's really an eye-opener. There's a lot of information. Some of the chapters I took in two parts. And today... We have a different message, and the message is titled, A God Complex. A God Complex. That was coined, I believe, in the 20th century, mid-20th century, and it just has to do with somebody who, they just have, a, a, using all these, these terms, a big ego, and they maybe get a sense of power, get a sense of authority, and they get a big head, so to speak, and they almost think that they're a deity, they're deify themselves, and it's very strange. Now, we're going to look at this in terms of world leaders, right? You can see some world leaders today. Some of them are benevolent. They love the people they serve, and others are like tyrants. Why does that happen? So we're going to look at that, but it's kind of funny because, listen, this could be somebody in the cubicle next to you, a guy or gal who gets a promotion or gets a title, and all of a sudden they change their, their personality changes. It's like, wait a minute, you're, you're just like a project leader. What's the, the issue here? So the, the idea of authority or power, even in a small sense, that can really go to somebody's head and change how they think. The blessing with us as Christians is we know that God is above us, so no matter what how we rise in this world, we have to remember that we're always, you know, subservient to him. And it kind of keeps us in check. But that's not always the case in the world. And we're going to look at that. And we're going to check this out in five parts. So we're going to go to Ezekiel 29, starting with verse 1. And then we're going to get into 28, which talks more about this. So in the 10th year, in the 10th month... On the twelfth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, the prophet, saying... Now, remember, he keeps doing this. You know, people think, oh, we're so much smarter than the ancients. But if you look at ancient Rome, the Greeks, the Persians, you know, the Israelites, they actually kept a lot of detailed records that we're still finding in the sand when we do digs in archaeology. They have dates, they have uh, carvings, they stuff set in, literally set in stone. We use that as a cliche today. So, and they've lasted thousands of years, these records. Son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him and against all Egypt. Speak and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Pharaoh, king of Egypt, O great monster who lies in the midst of his rivers, who has said, my river, or referring to the Nile, which brought a lot of life and still does to Egypt. It's an incredible resource. My river is my own. I have made it for myself. But, so this, this Lord, the Lord is sort of having this, this discussion with Pharaoh in a sense. And Pharaoh eventually, over time, does get these parchments to read for himself. God tells him what he's going to do before it happens, which gives a chance for change or repentance. He says, but I have, I have put hooks in your jaws and caused the fish of your rivers to stick to your scales. I will bring you up out of the midst of your rivers and all the flesh in your rivers will stick to your scales. The fish 
will stick to your scales. I will leave you in the wilderness, you and all the fish of your rivers. You shall fall on the open field. You shall not be picked up or gathered. I have given you as food to the beasts of the field and to the birds of the heavens. Not a pretty picture. Then all the inhabitants of Egypt shall know that I am the Lord because they have been a staff or a reed to the house of Israel or a walking stick or a cane. When they took hold of you with the hand, you broke and tore their shoulders. When they leaned on you, you broke and made all of their loins shake. Therefore, says the Lord God, surely I will bring a sword upon you and cut off from you man and beast. And the land of Egypt shall become desolate and waste. They shall know that I am the Lord. Because he said, meaning Pharaoh, the river is mine and I have made it. Indeed, therefore, I am against you and against your rivers. I will make the land of Egypt utterly waste and desolate from Migdal to Syene, which are different parts there. And as far as the border of Ethiopia, remember the Egyptian empire covered what we know today, a lot of the nations of North Africa. Egypt's a lot smaller. You have these different areas in uh, North and uh, Northeast Africa that really get a lot of prominence today. But thousands of years ago, they were kind of uh, consolidated into this Egyptian empire. Now they have their own sovereignty. It's a fascinating study. Neither foot, and there's a, we're going to get to that, neither foot of man shall pass through it, nor foot of beast shall pass through it, and it shall be inhabited, uninhabited 40 years. I'll make the land of Egypt desolate in the midst of the countries that are desolate. And among the cities that are laid waste, her city shall be desolate 40 years. I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries. Yet, thus says the Lord God, at the end of 40 years, I will gather the Egyptians back from the peoples among whom they were scattered. I will bring back the captives of Egypt and cause them to return to the land of Pathros, uh, which is sort of a southern Egypt area, to the land of their origin, and there shall be a lowly kingdom compared to the Egyptian empire of, of the past. It shall be the lowliest of kingdoms. It shall never exalt itself above the nations, for I will diminish them so that they will not rule over the nations anymore. No longer shall it be the confidence of the house of Israel, but will remind them of their iniquity. When they turn to follow them, they shall know that I am the Lord God. Okay, how do we digest this? First, one out of five is Egyptian, or the Egypt is to be desolate. Now, I'll go through this briefly. Uh, 7th century BC to the turn of the century to 6th century BC, you had a transition from Pharaoh Nietzsche to Pharaoh Hophra, right? We know the names of the pharaohs in the Exodus, right? The Egyptians kept very, very good records. Uh, the Rosetta Stone, those hieroglyphics that we were able to translate. We, like I was there, right? Um, <laughs> they used Demotic and, uh, and, and a Greek uh, language they were in three different languages and hieroglyphics. It's almost like algebra. We took the two knowns to translate the unknown. Now we understand hieroglyphics. Uh, pretty fascinating. So verses three through five, God is addressing this particular Pharaoh who had a God complex, right? Um, and it, when I start to read it, you're just like, I don't, I'm not making the connection, Pastor Joe. And that's my job to go into the history. So the pharaohs would uh, control the people by acting as deity. They would deify themselves. And then they would tell all these tales about how they created the Nile. Well, that's kind of difficult when each successive pharaoh is saying that he's the one who created the Nile. Well, who's the one who really did it? God is saying, of course you didn't. I'm God. I created it. So he gets to this point, God, where he has to humble this pharaoh and, and likens him to a river monster or a crocodile. And all the fish that are sticking to his scales will be his little minions in his court that help him to control the people. And you can see some of the, the end of the reign of these pharaohs was very short. And you could imagine that God was definitely behind that, right? So we're going to come back to this deification of leaders. Verses 6 through 7, God likens Egypt to a walking cane for Israel. And it's fascinating because today we use, still use walking canes. And you know, um, I know a lot of people that have torn you know, their shoulder, a rotator cuff or whatever because they used a cane and it slid or they fell and they put their hand out and the force of the impact of the fall wrenches the shoulder and they start to tear tissue. And God knew this thousands of years ago. And he said to, to Egypt, you're acting as a walking cane for the Israelites. They should be relying on me, right? My paraphrase. But instead they're relying on you, but you are not faithful anyway. 
So the Israelites end up falling because they, they, they lean on Egypt, but Egypt's really not strong enough to lift them up, but God is. So they, they push God aside for the Egyptians. So he's going through all this. Um, it's, it's actually quite fascinating. In Jeremiah 44, we see even more detail before it happens. So let me just stop for a minute and say, who are we relying on, right? This morning, 2021, who are we relying on? Does somebody come to your mind? Does an organization come to your mind? Does a bank account come to your mind, right? Because we, symbolically, can also have our own Egypt, so to speak. Remember, the Israelites were God's people. And they started to trade, maybe because God wasn't working fast enough. Maybe they didn't like the way he was answering prayers. And we could be guilty of this today. Who is your Egypt, right? What, what can fill in the blank there? God wants us to rely on him. Now, there's a lot in scripture about, you know, not sitting around being lazy. And there's this beautiful balance between us doing things. God gave us a big brain with a lot of, you know, billions and of neurons and synapses and stuff that go on like in a split second. But he also ultimately wants us to rely on him. So that's very important. We can talk about something three millennia ago, but we can also bring it up to speed. And that's the best part of the sermon is when we can take the scripture, no matter when it was written and say, you know what? I can apply that to myself. Am I relying on a walking cane that doesn't have God's name on it? So it's something to look at. Verses 8 through 16, God chronicles the Babylonian attack on the Egyptians before it happens. Now, just like the Israelites, when uh, Babylon attacked Egypt, they did this to the Israelites. They did this to a lot of nations. They would gather up people, sadly, forcefully, and force them to go back to Babylon like is forced labor or to be part of a really sort of a prisoner of war camp. Um, you know, this is what the, the ancients did. And every time there was a balance of power, somebody else came in and then they would conquer. What a messy time period. And it's all because of sin. These, these aren't good things. But God tells these things. He chronicles them before it happens. And there's a, a point in time where Egypt, maybe because of the expatriation of their citizens, it takes them a good 40 years before they, they and he says it right here, 40 years before they recover and they're restored. So if you, uh, if anybody here is a historian and you've studied Egyptian history, I'd love to talk to you after service because it is fascinating. But what God does is he does because he's a kind God and he wants them to change their behavior and, and many of them do. So what he does is he promises them restoration. But Egypt from this point never becomes that powerful empire that it was when we think about the Exodus. Now, people who have a problem with the Bible, usually it's an ignorance of not only history, archaeology, but the scripture. Because they say, well, look at, and I know, I'm familiar with Egypt today. I, I know what they do. I know their natural resources. <clears throat> but it's very interesting because when God said that they would never be to their former glory, he's actually right. Egypt dominated from this North African region and maybe because they had a buffer and a, and a thin uh, piece of land that would come down and they were able to defend it well, they were very powerful for a very long time. Very brilliant people. But because of the pharaohs and the deification and all the weird stuff that was going on, God sort of, he humbled them. They still kept their natural resources, but they, you know, <clears throat> Egypt later on under the Greeks, right? Under the Ptolemies gained status again. But again, they never rose to that power under the Romans, Right? They still never rose to that, that incredible power. Um, the Islamic expansion and control. Did you know that in Egypt, it was for many years, especially Alexandria and such, the great libraries of Egypt, it was a great cultural center for Jews and Christians. When the Islamic expansion took place, it changed all that. So now Egypt is in this place where the borders shrink. There's other nations that rise up next to her. Um, she's still a great nation, but she never regained that former glory. So it's, it's, it's everything that God said. And he says to the inhabitants of Egypt, they shall know that I am the Lord. Now, follow this too. God loves all people. And, and some get caught up, and I don't understand it, in this favoritism. God doesn't play favorites. You know, in the, in the Exodus, that, that was also another maddened Pharaoh who had a God complex. You know, Moses was like, let my people go. And there was this ebb and flow back and forth. But a lot of the Egyptian citizens supported the Israelites and started giving them gifts. 
for their journey, probably uh, unbeknownst to the Pharaoh, right? We read this. And a lot of the Egyptians turned to the true God, realizing that the true God was humbling their Pharaoh. They're like, I'm not going to worship this guy anymore. He's not, it's not making it happen. Look at these plagues. So a lot of the Egyptians went back to Pharaoh worship. And here is a later time in history where God's calling on the Egyptians again, saying, I am the Lord. I'm going to do it again to this current Pharaoh. So we, we don't I tell you, just when you really get into the history of it, it is fascinating. He loves all people. He wanted the Egyptians to turn back to him again. And there's still many Christians in Egypt today. Even all the things that they suffered, there's a very strong contingent of Christianity in Egypt. So it's fascinating. Verse 17, last few verses of this chapter. And it came to pass in the 27th year, in the first month, here we go, records again, on the first day of the month that the word of the Lord came to me, the prophet Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, caused his army to labor strenuously against Tyre. Remember, this is modern-day Lebanon, but Tyre was an ancient port city there. Every head, speaking of his soldiers and his workers, every head was made bald and every shoulder rubbed raw. Yet neither he nor his army received wages from Tyre. They finally get in, and a lot of the Tyrians had taken their goods and their wealth and put it on boats before the Babylonians came in and they sent it out to sea. So Nebuchadnezzar comes in, they do a lot of work, his soldiers, and they find out, man, there's really not much here, right? That's, that's why that happened. For the labor which they expended on it, therefore, says the Lord God, surely I will give the land of Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He shall take away her wealth, carry off her spoil and remove her pillage. And that will be the wages for his army. I have given him the land of Egypt for his labor because they worked for me, says the Lord God. And that day I will cause the horn of the house of Israel to spring forth and I will open your mouth to speak in their midst. They shall know that I am the Lord. So two out of five is not only Egypt, but Tyre is taken. They're invaded by the Babylonians. Babylonians are successful. And again, those citizens are taken by force and sent to Babylon. Okay. This is all historical fact. Verses 17 and 18, um, again, the soldiers, the Babylonian soldiers had their shoulders that were raw and their heads were rubbed bald. They worked so hard that physically they were disheveled, you know. Remember, the king had a God complex, so he didn't care that he made his, his soldiers work so hard in this siege. Nebuchadnezzar didn't do it. He made somebody else do it. And they, they suffered for it. But God is basically telling, you know, the Babylonians through this, that you're not going to get much entire, but when you go south to Egypt, you're going to be able to be compensated, right? Much of this is verified in cuneiform texts. Look that up, cuneiform, cuneiform texts, the ancient Babylonian writing, still in clay tablets and stones out, you know, in, in museums now, and Flavius Josephus's Antiquities. Uh, verse 21, the horn of Israel. This is where things get a little, a little tough. Uh, I'm, get, I'm used to reading prophecy and, you know, God moves to different dates. I get that. You know, God is outside of time. Uh, but it's a little bit of a learning curve. So Jesus, when he was in the temple, he quoted Isaiah 61. In the middle of one of the verses, Jesus stops. Because the rest of that verse, it prophesies the time of Jesus And if Jesus was to read the rest of it, because he said, today, this is fulfilled in your hearing, it actually speaks about Jesus, second coming. So it's a little bit of a learning curve with the old Testament with, wait a minute, we were just here. Now we're over here. We don't see things the way God sees them. We see linear time. He sees everything at once. So this is a picture of, you know, uh, of Israel and and a future time. And and it's a great time. Um, But we'll move on. Just looking at this, too, with repentance and restoration, you know, this is what, what God desires ultimately. And again, I always say this, repentance is a, to a lot of people, it's a scary word, especially if you go through the city and someone, you know, has a sandwich board and a Bible and they're screaming to all the people that are walking through the city about repent, repent. Yeah, I'm not, that's not me. I don't do things that way. But um, repent just means to change. You know, it would just be to me much more productive. I like to talk people one-on-one and just say, you know what? God, God wants you to look to him. He wants you to, you know, you're going in your self-directed life. It's all about you. You got your plans. Um, but God is there 
And at some point in your life, you have to repent. You have to turn from your self-directed life and look to, to God and what he's doing. You know, to be saved. God wants you to be saved. And when people repent, there's often a restoration that comes. Right? The Bible says that God can restore all the years the locusts have eaten. Right? Back in those days, the locusts got your crops, man. There were, could be a million of them. And by the time they're done, all your grain is gone. You know, they just come in and they're eating machines. But God was saying figuratively, no matter what happened in your life, up until the time that you ran into me, right? I'm paraphrasing for God. I can, I can restore things. I really can. I've seen God restore reputations. I've seen him restore marriages. I've seen him restore a lot of things. So that's the God we serve. And that's his desire is to bless us, is to bless us. Now let's go to chapter 28. Again, no big deal that I, I, I did 29 and 28. Again, when you're in prophecy, you could be in chapter 6, talks about the future. In chapter 35, can talk about the past. And then 40 talks about the future again. So don't, don't let that bother you. Um, there's a reason why I did it this way. Verses 1 through 10. Now we're talking about Tyre again, that port city, which is part of modern-day Lebanon. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre. So this guy is the ruler of this Tyre area. Because your heart is lifted up and you say, I am a God. So we just looked at Pharaoh who thought he was a God. Now the prince of Tyre thinks he's a God. I think I saw a meme once that there's, there's only one God. Please, everybody, stop vying for his position. It's already been filled. But, you know, we listen, you can look at world leaders today. Some of them are kind people, men and women who care about their subjects or their citizens. And then there's others that are just mean-spirited, nasty, divisive. And if you don't, vindictive, there's a word. If you don't do what I say, you're, you're, you know, we're going to take your finances. We're going to have you arrested. We're going to have your business, you know, shut down. Um, you know, you got different types of leaders, Right. So apparently the Prince of Tyre wasn't a great guy. He thought he was a god. And he said, I sit in the seat of gods in the midst of the seas, yet you are a man and not a god. Though you set your heart as the heart of a god, behold, you are wiser than Daniel. I think there's sarcasm in there. I'm I'm not really sure. Daniel was brilliant and he was world renowned. But this Prince of Tyre is a nobody, but he's powerful. And he thinks he's got the wisdom of Daniel even better. There's no secret that can be hidden from you. With your wisdom and your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom and trade, you have increased your riches and your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, this is God speaking, behold, therefore, I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall throw you down into the pit we talked about that last Sunday. And you shall die the death of the slain in the midst of the seas. Will you still say before him who slays you, I am a God. But you shall be a man and not a God. In the hand of him who slays you, you shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hands of the aliens. For I have spoken, says the Lord God. So three out of five is... The fall of the prince of Tyre. Now we're going to shift to the king of Tyre, which is even more important than talking about the prince of Tyre. So the prince of Tyre or the ruler of Tyre, if you look it up in history, it was Ithabalus II. Right? Ithabalus II, really not important that you remember that name. But he had wealth, he had power, he had influence, and he had a God complex and that ruined him. Okay, God was letting him know that when his empire came tumbling down, that he would realize very quickly that he's not a God. And I, you know what, I I think it's kind of sad sometimes, and people do mean things, so I'm kind of on the fence. When a person has a delusion of grandeur, you know, you you want them to get well, because they're only going to ruin their life and the people around them. But some do it because they're just mean-spirited. They want that power. They don't care about anybody else but themselves and their rise to power. So if we can read Proverbs 16, 18 through 19, it said pride. You ever hear people say pride goes before the fall? 
they're conflating the portion of scripture. It's more powerful. It said, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Right? We also know in James 4, 6, that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. It's good to stay humble. No matter what we get in life, no matter where we go, no matter... You know, it's funny. We can look at a blessing that gives us some sort of status and take advantage of that blessing and let it go to our head, right? Like you said, the person in the next cubicle, you know? It's like, what happened to, to Jan, you know? What, what, what is she thinking? Like, she's like walking around here like a, like a tyrant, you know what I'm saying? I see some of you laughing because you've probably experienced it in your workplace. It doesn't take much for people to think that they are so mighty. Stay humble. You know, I was, um, when I was a police officer, I was a training officer for over a decade. And there was guys and gals that would come out of the, the academy and they got their own police car eventually and their gun and their badge. And I would try to talk to them and say, listen. And they were excited. They were good people. But I just was saying to them, listen, be a servant. You're a servant. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're going to get the bad guys. It's inevitable. Listen to people when they talk. You know, sometimes you rush into a situation and people are just venting. They're upset. If, if you can, and it's not causing a physical problem, listen to them. Just listen to them. A lot of times when they share and they get it off their chest, they're a lot more agreeable to what you have to say, right? <laughs> so the, this was my counsel as a training officer. Um, and I, I tell you what, I really enjoyed those years. Um, and you know what? My attitude changed when I became a Christian. So I was a police officer for several years. Then I become a Christian. It didn't happen overnight. But my, my attitude towards my job started to change. Like, I used it as, a, as an example to help people. Like, I'm like, I want people to see the profession and say, man, those guys and gals are great. They're really there for me to serve and protect. So, and again, that's a job that can give you power, authority, being a judge, right? My goodness, those, those guys make decrees. They're very powerful, politicians. But how many of them are using them for good? To really mete out goodness. Maybe to not do that dirty deal with the corporation and the foreign entity just so they could pad their bank accounts. But actually do what the Constitution says. This is a great country. Right? Use your positions for good. It doesn't matter who you are. It really doesn't. So there's a lot of really neat stuff in here. We're looking again on the world stage. There's some harsh things happening in Europe, in Canada, Australia that these leaders are taking something that started out, hey, we got to fix this problem, and now they're taking it to an extreme, right? Where they're becoming harsh with the people they're supposed to be serving. Verse 11, this, this answers it all. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre. Subtle difference. We were talking about the prince. Now we're talking about the king. When I was new to the Bible, I read this quickly. I thought this was the same person. It's not. And say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection. So this is the, I was going to wait. Let me just say it now. This is speaking about the fallen angel Lucifer. Because as I start to read it, you're like, this guy entire did all that. Wow, he's pretty accomplished. No, no, no. This was before the fall. This was Lucifer, right? He said, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. Lucifer, Satan, is a created being. He was an angel. You were the anointed cherub. Cherubs were uh, an order of angels like the seraph, the seraphim. The cherub or the cherub who covers, I establish you, you were on the holy mountain of God. Look at all the wonderful blessings he had. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, God speaking, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O covering cherub. From the midst of the fiery stones. Jesus said when he walked with his disciples. 
This is pretty amazing. Imagine walking with Jesus. Like Jesus every once in a while would give his disciples a glimpse of what heaven was like because he's God the Son. He came from heaven, took the form of a man to die for our sins. Jesus says in Luke ten eighteen to his disciples, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. When God was done with his rebellion and his sin, like the lightning flashes in a split second, Satan was cast down to earth. Jesus saw that. Right before he took the form of a man, right? God the Son, he was a part of that. We continue. Your heart, Lucifer, was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities. By the iniquity of your trading, therefore I brought fire from your midst that devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth. So there's a little bit of a going back and forth, and there's a reason for that. In the sight of all who saw you, all who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. So what God does is he starts out speaking about this Ithabalus too, which I believe that that was the leader of Tyre at the time. God moves to the force behind his God complex, and then he moves back to Ithabalus too, right? It's, it's a warning to everybody. Um, so four, we're shifting to the king of Tyre, who is Satan. And you see these comparisons. God's done this before in Isaiah 14. God starts out with, this is the king of Babylon, and this is this is Satan, and this is the person who's energizing him and giving him his God complex. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, we're told that the world is blinded by Satan. He's a false god, right? He's, he's really not a god. I use that term loosely. He's, he was created as an angel, but his, his blessings went to his head, and he, he led a rebellion as well. And his end will be met in the future. Uh, A lot of scripture here. Uh, Matthew 4. People are fascinated by this account. Jesus was tempted for 40 days, right? Didn't eat, and Satan comes to him. So my, I try to understand people. I like to read people. Why are they acting like this? It's just a thing that I do, reading body language, reading what people say and look for clues. Why did Satan think that he could tempt God the Son to sin? So my understanding of the whole dynamics is that Satan probably thought, well, he's taking the form of a man. He's still fully God. I know that. But he's in the form of a man. Maybe because he's in the form of a man, I could get to him. Okay, that's just my understanding. I don't know if that's true. So he says to Jesus, I have all the kingdoms of the world. I will give them to you. Just bow down and worship me. Imagine seeing that. Um... And of course, Jesus didn't do it. This time, Satan was actually telling the truth. Because of sin entering the world, I I call it a wedding gift. God gave the uh, parents, the initial people that were created, the earth and the creation and the beauty and the garden and the animals and the beautiful temperature. And when sin entered the world, it was forfeited. And it does appear that it was forfeited to Satan because now, once that sin entered the world... Many, many in the world will will kind of move towards that dark force. So by default, Satan sort of has the title deed to the creation in its fallen state. Now, we know God is going to punish Satan. He's going to, you know, remake everything. He's going to destroy what sin marred, and he's going to make it beautiful again. But until now, Satan was trying to get Jesus to bow down to him. And he says, like, take the circuitous route. Don't go to the cross. Why would you want to be crucified? Right? But of course, Jesus did it for his love for us. He didn't just want, he didn't just didn't want the world kingdoms. He'd care less. He wanted us to be in heaven. So it's a very powerful, you know, things that are going on. Ephesians 6.12, I'll leave you with this. Ephesians 6.12, when you deal with that person who's just so antagonistic towards you, most likely because of your belief and your faith, there's a power behind them. Sadly enough, and they may not even know they're being manipulated. Ephesians 6.12 says, we do not wrestle. We don't fight against flesh and blood, against people, what, what the Lord is saying. But, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts, demons of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
I also saw memes, right? It's funny. I'm 54. I'm talking about memes. Uh, but it was, there was like a, car, a graphic of uh, people just walking through a city street. And there were there was these drawings of angels and demons. Some of the demons were like guiding certain people. Some, some were at peace and the angels were with them. And uh, it's just like the unseen world of the, of the angels and demons. It's just, it just exists. I mean, I did talk about this more uh, prior, but it's, it's pretty fascinating stuff. In Daniel 9 through 10, Gabriel comes to Daniel, the angel Gabriel. And he tells Daniel that Persia and Greece and all these kingdoms have certain spiritual hosts, demonic entities that are trying to control the leaders. But also God has his dispatch to do their work as well. And one day we're going to figure, you know, he's going to show us, I believe it. But right now we can just go with what the scripture says. And I'll leave you with this. I keep saying that. This is really where I'm going to leave you with. Uh, so is that those who laugh the hardest at a literal Satan, sadly and ironically and unwittingly may be controlled by him, even if indirectly. And I've met people like that. Oh, you believe in a literal Satan? It's almost like Satan whispers to people, I don't exist. Keep believing that. Mock the Christian. It's pretty funny, isn't it? I don't know how it works, but many are manipulated by these forces in the world. So it's all throughout scripture. Jesus tells us this too. Verse 12 through 13, we see that Lucifer had the seal of perfection. He was in the Garden of Eden. So we're definitely not talking about the Prince of Tyre. He's not that old, right? Satan is thousands of years old since his creation. You know, uh, he had timbrels and pipes that were prepared on the day he was created. These are musical instruments. Was he involved with leading worship? A lot of people speculate that. So God creates this beautiful angel. And he, on the day he's created, he creates um, his equipment with him, his timbrels and pipes, right? So, unfortunately, he used his privilege for, for, for wrong. Verses 14 through 15, he was the anointed cherub. He probably is an archangel, as we understand. Michael is an archangel. He's like a general. He's a leader. So, Lucifer was this anointed cherub. Um, and he was perfect until sin was found, until he got a God complex. So, whether we're talking about humans or angels, there's only one God. Again, I'm good with that. I'm going to stay in my role. I'm going to stay in my lane. And God can run everything. I don't want his job. I don't even want anything close to his job. I can't imagine, you know, what he deals with on a daily basis. So you, you, when you understand who Christ is, when you give your life to the Lord, a realization comes to you, right? As we look at our world, um, we have things that are going on that are concerning. As I read the news and I see what's going on in Europe, in the Western world, Canada, Australia, is that the treatment of Christians and Jews, and I have a lot of evidence and a lot of articles, um, clergy being arrested for stupid things, petty things. There's just a, it's almost like a post-Christian kind of world. Now, remember, we read Revelation. These things have to happen. Before all the good stuff comes, unfortunately, we have this aggressive globalist movement. We have globalist billionaires who are interfering in uh, local elections. They don't want to be elected, but they pump millions of dollars, and I've done my research on this, into campaigns to get their people in to move our country in its sovereignty into this aggressive, aggressive globalist movement. Remember, the Antichrist... People, that's such an archaic term, right? People think he is an aggressive globalist who becomes a fascist. You ever realize that when you listen to our leaders and the leaders of the world, I'm waiting for the good news, right? News is depressing. Why? You listen to world leaders all the time. And I'm not just talking about our country. Hey, give us some hope, you know, give us some good news. Smile once in a while. Oh, it's, and, and they just, they're constantly talking about how bad things are and how things are going to get worse and the economy and COVID and it, that's all you hear. So people naturally watch TV and they get depressed. Well, when the Antichrist comes, he's charismatic, he's in politics. When he comes, he's the one, unfortunately, it's going to be a false peace, the Bible says, a false hope. He's going to come in and he's going to say, I'm going to solve the problems in the Middle East. He's going to be very upbeat. We see it in the scripture. 
And then when he has enough of a following, he becomes dictatorial. He becomes fascistic. He becomes from a person who's going to solve the world's problem once he gets that seat of power. And you could follow this. Saw it in Stalin. We saw it, saw it in Hitler. We saw it in a lot of these leaders who were for the people. They, they're concerned about you. Then they get into power and they change. Right? Pretty messed up. I'll leave this as well. There's just a lot of information here. Some of it I had to X out. I just have so much and articles and stuff. Uh, there are no, I'm going to say this, that as I look out, remember I was an economics major in college. I look a lot of, out at you know, world trade, economics, geopolitics. They're all kind of mixed in together. When we look out at the world, including the United States, no more does anyone has a, have a disproportionate amount of power. Power is now starting to be shared. Military power, military secrets. Everybody's got the, the planes, the jets, you know, nuclear information. We see that. But what we do see is we see the rise of, I call them the, the oligarchs, right? They're global elitists. They're very powerful. Um, they pull the strings behind the scenes, and this falls right into the scripture. They also want to tell everyone else how to be controlled, but they don't follow their own advice. I'll give you some examples. Global warming is a threat, and I've heard this for almost 30 years. But these folks are constantly going back and forth in private jets, which are the worst polluters, worst carbon footprint. They tell you to do it. They, they tell you not to use a wood-burning stove. They tell you what not to use, but they, but they do what they want. Um, how about the defund the police movement, right? They, police are racist, police are bad, they're murderers. But those same people have police guarding their kids, following them to school. So wait a minute, why would you want all these horrible men and women in uniform watching your kids? Are we, are we picking up the hypocrisy? They don't care if you are a poor person living in the city and, you know, there's chaos because they live in gated communities, right? They push, teach fear and instability in the schools while their kids go to the best schools. See me after service if you're not convinced, and I'll give you plenty of details. I don't want to turn this into a two-hour thing. They talk about privilege, and the ones out of their mouth that are talking about privilege are the most privileged. The news media doesn't follow. I have some media people in this church that when the media was an honorable institution, they did follow the money. Nobody follows the money anymore. How do these people get in being, and I'm not against rich people. I have no, you don't miss the point here. It's the power that's associated with the God complex. There are some benevolent, wealthy people that uh, go to foreign countries and help poor kids and stuff. So, so I'm not saying all, but I'm saying this, this cabal, World Economic Forum, go on their website, look what they espouse, right? They're kind of they're behind the curtain. They're under the radar. Um, what about the, the, the ones that are constantly telling you, you your kid's got to be masked up, everybody's got to be dis distanced, the fear they instill. And then you, you find these these videos that aren't supposed to get out. Mayors, governors, world leaders, big parties, hundreds of people, birthday parties, fundraisers. Nobody's got masks. They're dancing. They're sweating on each other. Do they really believe what they're saying? Or is this a form of control? Are they testing the waters? Because I know what the scripture says eventually. So it's almost like you get the picture yet. It's good for me because I'm in this position, but not for thee. Now, before you go there, because I've had people say this to me. And I, I have friends who are atheists and I love them dearly. Ah, oh, but what about the clergy? What about the powerful church? What about, and I'm like, bro, I'm with you. Wait, wait, wait. You're a pastor. You're with me? Absolutely. When you look at what happened in the past where churches forcibly converted people or helped to burn witches at the stake, or that's sick. That's even worse than what I just talked about because they're supposed to be representing God. That's really sick. And Jesus talks about how they will be judged. He's speaking about them literally going to hell. If you read Matthew 23, he devotes a whole chapter to hypocritical clergy. So trust me, they're not getting away with anything. And many of them are standing right before the Lord right now. And it's not going to be comfortable for them. So let me just say this, is that this is where we're at. This is where we're at. And here's where I find my peace. My peace is here. Because you see me outside of the pulpit, we're always joking around, kidding around, having a good time in life. Because I know how it ends. And when you know the scripture, you know how it ends. And there's the peace. 
This, this isn't going to last. This isn't going to keep going on. Even our son, is it a, is somebody raise their hand. Tell me if I'm right. Is it a, it's called the red dwarf. It's uh, my astronomy people here. Um, the sun eventually is going to burn out to the point, it could be a long time, that this solar system in the Earth can't sustain life anymore, photosynthesis, warmth, etc. And the sun doesn't have to disappear. It just needs to lose enough of the energy where it's not, you know, it's not coming to us in the form of light energy and heat and all that kind of stuff, photosynthesis, etc. So the point is, you know, when I was young and I thought I was invincible and I didn't know the Lord, I really, I lived my life like I was going to live forever. And I'm just going to be honest with you. When, when you're going through life and things are going good and you're, you're, you're well and you're not sick and you have good health, a little bit of that creeps up in you. When I became a Christian, my eyes were completely opened. And I also knew that my behavior wasn't right. That's the power of Jesus Christ. Not only did he come to die for our sins, but he came to, to check us so we don't burn out. We don't do things that are foolish. We don't have our ego so unchecked that we crash and burn. Last few verses, 20 through 26. Then the word of the Lord, came. <laughs> some of you are going to go home. So what would you learn at church today? Oh, we talked about Satan. <laughs> okay. Put it in, please put it in context. <laughs> Okay, verse 20. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Sidon. This was another port city in modern day Lebanon. It was an ancient city. And prophesy against her and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against you, O Sidon. I will be glorified in your midst. They shall know that I am the Lord when I execute judgment in her and am hallowed in her, for I will send pestilence upon her. And this was vis-a-vis or by extension had to do with the Babylonian invasion. These things started to happen. When there's war, there's pestilence. There's famine. There's a lot of things. And blood in her streets, the wounded shall be judged in her midst. By the sword against her on every side, then the Lord shall know that I am, then they shall know that I am the Lord. And there shall no longer be a pricking briar or a painful thorn for the house of Israel. Because it wasn't just Israel that got invaded. All the neighbors got invaded too. And everybody just had to chill and take a breath and realize, all right, we all have to pick up the pieces again. You know, so nobody had a, a, an unfair advantage over, over anybody else. Uh, then they shall know that I am the Lord God. A lot of this had to do with God said, said some of the, a lot of these things two years, sometimes five years before it took, took place. So when it did happen, people were like, oh, wow, this could have only been from God. Nobody can tell the future like that. Thus says the Lord God, when I have gathered the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered and am hallowed in them in the sight of the Gentiles. Then they will dwell in their own land, which I gave to my servant Jacob, and they will dwell safely there, build houses, plant vineyards. Yes, they will dwell securely. When I execute judgments on all those around them who despise them, then they shall know that I am the Lord their God. And that's what God wants. At the end of the day, he wants, he wants everyone to, to just do the right thing. You know, if they're practicing evil and God spells that out, stop doing that. You know, we as Christians, we're blessed because when we read the Bible, even as Christians, you know, sometimes we think, you know, I'm just living my life. And then we'll read something about greed or uh, jealousy. And, and we go, oh, and God gently says to us, you know what? In that area, you're weak. And that's a good thing because this is a this is a direction manual on how to live your life. You know, be other centered, love people. Oh, yeah, I'm just kind of love people close to me. I got to work on that one too. And that's the beauty. God tries to, he tries to change us in a good way from the direction manual. So yes, a, a God complex is the title. Pharaoh, Ithabalus, Nebuchadnezzar, Zedekiah, world leaders today. Um, but eventually they will all be judged. And people say, well, why is he doing it now? Because God is a fair God. He's, he's waiting. He's, you know, trying to see people. Maybe they'll repent on their own. And a lot of people do. Um, they're, they're taught the Bible for the first time and they, you know, they, their heart changes and another person gets saved. You can't see it physically, but it's happening, right? Uh, the corruption in the world, the wickedness, uh, eventually God is going to deal with that. So my advice to everyone is to, you know, well, what if I, that happens to me, you know what, how about let's just follow the scripture, stay on that narrow path that Jesus speaks about, stay close to the Lord, you know, Teach your kids the right way. You know, uh, in your job, be that same person that you are when you're in church. 
you know, all these things. And at the end of the day, you're going to be protected. When the Lord comes for his saints, he's going to have a smile and a hug for everybody, you know. And even the sins that you did commit as a Christian, that was already paid for on the cross. So, you know, somebody asked me in the young adults group about, you know, God's wrath. And when something doesn't go right in my life, is God angry at me? I'm like, when we talk about the Old Testament, that was a different dispensation. And, and I did say this, that when God had to deal with the wickedness of his people in general, he still, he never meted out his wrath or his discipline on the people who were righteous. So you had a community, let's say, of a million people, and 10,000 of them are really solid for God. He didn't punish them. God never does that. He doesn't punish the righteous with the wicked. So, and in the age of grace in Jesus Christ, whatever we've done, whatever we do, if I sin today, God has forgiven me. I don't have to sit in, in, in fear and worry that God is mad at me. He's not that type of God. You got to put all things into perspective. So stay on the, on the narrow path. Stay close to Jesus. Love people. You know, exude your, your beliefs and your faith and your principles in a, in a, in a good way. And uh, keep your eyes open because the Lord is coming soon. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.